0: Thank you for taking the time to download this podcast from Rosendale Research School. If you've enjoyed it, why don't you sign up for our monthly newsletter? You can do this via our website at
1: rosendale.researchschool.org.uk. Welcome to the Rosendale Research School podcast. Uh, I'm joined this week by Michelle Chung, who is an assistant head, SENDCo here at Rosendale and also is in overseeing health and well-being and as well as Michelle I have Ian Hurley who is a lead practitioner head of his year group and also is involved with Michelle in the health and well-being area. Um we're going to be our conversation today is loosely based upon the recent EEF guidance report um on social and emotional learning in primary schools uh which was released a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's it's an interesting read as all their reports are you can Download it from the EEF website, Um, and I was reading it earlier this week, thinking, "Oh my word!" As as a practitioner, you start thinking there's areas that, gosh, I haven't done that, and I don't do this, and it really does make you, if anything else, become aware of your own practice. Um, Anyway, the report—I'll just briefly uh, go through the report. It really, um, one interesting part of it—it had a sort of as a preface. It surveyed 400 primary schools to find out what they currently do with their um, social and emotional learning. And interesting results, I thought. Um, obviously, each school is separate, but nearly half of the schools said that social emotional learning, SEL I'll call it, is a top priority and just and receives as much coverage as other curriculum areas. Uh, once again, just under half of the schools said they actually... Are very implicit, sorry, explicit in its teaching and timetable. Time to do it. The, the the bit that struck me about the whole report was don't wait for an emergency. My whole uh, raise on debt is waiting for emergencies and being reactive to things. But you know, if we can actually be a bit proactive, then hopefully we'll do that. And it lists then generally six broad areas that uh, schools can consider: uh, teaching strategies, which includes teaching skills explicitly integrating any model that you're using explicitly. The second area is the curriculum, where it says, you know, plan carefully if adopting a program and use a model that they use the acronym SAFE, which is sequential, active, focused, and explicit. Uh, The next area looks at the whole school. So reinforcing it through things like uh, perhaps behavior policies, assemblies, things like this. And finally, some guidance on implementation if you are looking to take a particular programme or make one of your own and transfer it across the school. Uh, it is a really useful read uh, for anyone involved in those areas. Um, now, I'm going to tack to... Uh, good afternoon, Michelle and Ian. Sorry. Good afternoon. I didn't <laughs> let you talk there, did I? Um, so we're just going to be chatting about some of the issues that uh, it, th- it this report threw up. Um, and certainly with me, I mean... Possibly one of the reasons why I became a primary school teacher was because of the some social and emotional learning. You're looking at the whole child and the nurturing and the pastoral care and things like that. Um, but from this, uh, this survey the survey then, it's interesting. Some, some schools have it really deliberately in their curriculum, sub curricular. Some others just, it, it's within them. So, just wondering about your thoughts, perhaps Michelle first, what are your thoughts about whether we should have a totally separate curriculum which is deliberately taught or whether it should be threaded through everything else?
2: As a Senko and assistant head, I would say that it's paramount that it's threaded through everything we do because I think actually it's not a bolt-on skill. Our social, emotional well-being, and our development is part of who we are and makes us who we are and therefore if we want children to be optimum learners... They need to be clearer about how they yeah. feel and have a sense of where they want to go in life. And so at Roserville, I think we have lots of opportunities integrated into our day for children to develop their social and emotional learning each day.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. Ian, any of your thoughts or what are you... Um, Obviously,
0: when I first started up my career, I started off in early years, and actually, it is a core prime area. Actually, it has to been, doesn't it? it? You know, yeah. and it's really important. Actually, we can't expect children to know how to behave. We need to teach them the skills, and, and we're very lucky. I agree that you know we should be teaching them explicitly. You know, yes. this in, in separate lessons, but we do it in school all the time through our Kagan school we're constantly which is
1: called the cooperative learning structures we yeah, use which reinforces some yeah, of those so we're constantly
0: reminding it? the children you know of, of appropriate social behaviours and, and we need to as teachers be constantly reminding them and picking up when they're not doing the right thing and just reminding them why we're actually doing that thing
2: and equally we also want to remind them when they are doing the right yeah, thing yeah exactly yes and, and I feel that um for the vast majority of professionals, in most settings, you do it consciously and unconsciously. And I think both are equally valid and critical. And every interaction you have with a child is actually developing their social and emotional their vocabulary, uh, understanding of, of uh, emotions and their feelings. And I think that's that, that's part of everyday life. Yes. And it's a lifelong skill, and therefore, actually, um, I completely agree with Ian in terms of it it won't come for some children easily or automatically, and we must make sure
1: that it's really explicit for them. everybody
2: equal opportunities. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because I've got you. You worked nursing reception. You went there in year four, so yes, I see all of your input when you're in EYFS. is purely, largely for those social and emotional things, isn't it? But Definitely. Outwardly, um, I've sort of worked across year groups. It sort of seems sometimes that we very keen on it then, and then all of a sudden, right now you're on your own. We're expecting yeah. children. To have learnt these things by osmosis, some of them, and we just drop it. That's my view I have sometimes. Is that I completely agree? I feel like when they leave the EYFS, they leave foundation.
0: All of a sudden, it seems to be okay. We it's it's not like we're not doing it, but it just seems to be the focus is not on that anymore. And actually, the focus should still continue to be on SEL. You know, we should be focusing on. Social yeah, it's gone rather
1: all on us. You think, right, you've left there, now it's on the other curriculum areas yeah. rather than... But hang on, you need these other skills to be able to access exactly, those, yeah. don't you? So and it's a prime area
0: in, in early years. Yeah. So we're saying, actually, this is a very important area, but then it just seems to die off slightly.
1: Yeah, so perhaps transitions between, you know, the early years... and it, oh, They're always important, aren't they? But mm-hmm. perhaps in terms of social and emotional learning. Thank you. Um, now, you've mentioned a bit, Michelle, about behaviour. Michelle is... Recently, put together our school behaviour policy, and clearly there have to be lots of overlaps between social and emotional learning and behaviour. Presuming you're enforcing, reinforcing the correct behaviours, and advising on those that aren't, uh, can, can tell you tell a little bit of how where you see social and emotional learning fitting into a behaviour policy?
2: Sure. Um, so we are very. Uh simplistic approach here at Rosendale, where we talk to children about the green and the red choices that they make, um, which actually, ironically, stems from an ASD approach, uh, just expectant disorder approach, by a lady referred to as Green Irene, which you can actually ah. source by typing in Green Irene into <laughs> the internet. Um it isn't a formal system. It's one that actually grew out of supporting individuals to make explicit what's the expectations and why to develop their social understanding. And again, you can see how that would link to emotional uh, learning there. And um, the premise behind it is that we as young, as people are always um, faced with making choices Yeah. early in the morning. What am I going to have for breakfast? And, and there's consequences to those choices that actually then mean we go on and affect how we feel. So we use this system as a visual system to allow children to think. Okay, what is the choice I'm making? What's going to be the impact of that choice? And uh, equally, positive as negative. Thinking, considering both their both their learning and their social behaviours. And I think that how uh, the social, emotional aspects of learning uh, link to our behaviour policy is that actually at all times we're trying to raise children's self awareness and trying to help them to become responsible. And if they can be aware, then they can actually begin then to think, why why am I making these choices? And their ability to self-manage becomes better, and they're much more regulated Mm -hmm. in their feelings, and and they're much more in control of the choices that they make. And then actually they can then, when they're making choices that we want them to reflect on, we have systems that allow us to do that quite formally, because then we can think, okay, how are you going to respond next time? And each time it just becomes a cycle of, experiences, reflections, responses, and actually then thinking, can I change these, and how do I change these, and actually then children sort of feel much more in control and generally a lot happier in school, and happy children are positive children, and then that, I think, has optimal effect on their learning opportunities too, because they approach with a bunch more resilience and confidence. Okay,
1: thanks for sure. Ian, I know um, your, your class at the last year or two, you had a, some challenges, shall we say, with behavior mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I wonder how you've used social and emotional skills learning to perhaps target some of that in your classroom. Yep, So um first thing,
0: obviously, I think one of the major things we kind of learnt from it was actually maybe our transitions from Key Stage 1 to Key Stage 2 were not strong enough. So this year we really, me and Michelle, we sat down with SLT and we talked about actually how could we improve the transition from Key Stage 1 to Key Stage 2? Because actually we found some of these children just all of a sudden they felt a bit lost and a bit like unsure of things. And um, we used to mix the classes up. Yes. And and we had a discussion about that again. Again, we were talking about actually, who is this for? Is this actually benefiting children or not benefiting the children? And I think this year we decided actually, Mm -hmm. let's not mix the classes up because there was no benefit for it. Obviously, yes, there was a benefit in the sense of, you know, they were going to get new friends, they were going to be mixing with other children, but actually... When, you, when your class works well, you've got a and nice... you know the dynamics yeah, of it. You exactly. don't know what the yeah. new dynamics might be. Exactly. And yeah. children, okay. for some of our children, especially some of our vulnerable children, they just felt it was just too much for them all of a sudden Key Stage 2, um, new classes, new teacher. And they were just very unsure. And yeah, and we had the class where I had a few children that just didn't quite cope, you know, well. So, you know, Michelle yeah. and myself, we sat down, we, you know... Again, we went straight back to the red and green. We talked about actually giving the children, you know, okay, these are the green choices. But obviously, if you're not making these green choices, the red choices. Talking about cons- not consequences, but kind of getting them to reflect on their own behaviour, saying actually, right, so this is what we want you to do, but obviously you're making this, getting them to reflect again on, on how they were feeling. And we used to meet weekly right. and, and have a conversation, especially with our vulnerable children. And actually, we started inviting parents in, and having weekly meetings with them and discussing. Right. And the strategies, actually, it, it was a very useful process with all of us involved. And Probably actually, one of
2: the most useful and most positive outcomes
0: I that we completely had. agree. And it, it felt like a 3 prong attack. We're all coming from the same area. And actually, the children,
1: all of a sudden, they just felt much calmer, much more secure. So, so on a sort of day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. did you sort of have to totally deconstruct things quite substantially? Because... As a yeah. class teacher as well, you're always thinking, yes, this is important, but so is what I've got to teach outside. And, and, yeah, no, I can you shouldn't agree. feel guilty for taking everything down. And just then, we're just going to get these things right first. Yeah, if we, we, not we, right. we stripped it right back. We, yeah, we kind okay.
0: of stripped it right back to the point. I was saying things like actually, um, the amount of work we're trying to get through in a week is too much because the behaviour was kind of interrupting slightly the learning, and we do yeah. so. For Instance, we stopped going to assembly. allow us the extra 15 minutes just to say, Okay, we can take it at a slower pace for the children that need it to be a bit slower. Because as a teacher, you're like, oh, I've got to get this, this, yeah, this done, absolutely. this done, this done, this done, and actually, it became too much. We, we went down to four English and four maths lessons a week, and then allowed us the extra time just to finish off all the things that we didn't quite get through in time.
2: I think, um, sorry, no, sorry Jane, but no. I, say, I think one of the things we recognised and we hold true here is that. The behaviour was a communication to us, mm-hmm. and we need to ask, "What are the children in this particular cohort yeah. communicating?" And one was one of it. Part of it must have been, "I'm feeling totally overwhelmed," and I think that's what I think we were consciously mm-hmm. responding to. Would I you can, say that's I completely agree time, with that. Yeah.
0: yeah, and this year we made the decision that I would continue and take my class up. Yeah, and they are a completely different class in the sense that we, we took the time last year to work with them and actually um we did explicitly teach the skills we used to have our own assembly we used to have our um, yeah. our good to be green ambassadors you know people that we said oh constantly making green choices and then they got to wear a badge like a prefect and all of a sudden everyone
1: wanted to be wearing this badge. So yeah. then they started and we would also remind themselves, oh, look at the, you know, And can, in the can you in situations like that? Because if you were teaching maths, you know, mistakes are really valuable, aren't mm-hmm. they? Learning for learning. Can you do the same with behaviour without sort of pinning down a certain child and saying, well, no, that's, but use it as an example to answer what Completely. what could they have done?
0: Completely. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Use I, I used to do scenarios on the board and it might have been a scenario that's happened in class. We'd change the names and do things and say, oh, okay, so this is what's happened. What do we think we should have done, you know, right. and, yeah. and get the kids to think. And it was explicitly, and then we'd talk about and say, yeah, that's a really good approach They could have done this, that, and the other, rather than doing this, that, and the other. And, and the kids, all of a sudden, they would go, oh, that was like what, what happened yesterday or something. They, they'd kind of notice, but then not quite say anything. But then when it happened, like the week later, they would be like, oh, I did that today because we said that was an appropriate way of showing the behaviour or... or perfect way to deal with that situation so yeah we were explicitly teaching and taking the time the yes. time is the, such a key important thing yes so Doug Michelle. I would
2: say one of the key things that we learned last year was um, that every actually last year built upon was that every green every red choice can be turned into a green choice and it was like actually mm-hmm. we had this red year group it <laughs> can be turned into a green yes. year group yeah. because actually they learned. Um, to regulate a little bit more and they learned to take responsibility a little bit more and they learned to feel good about themselves a little bit more and that just became a rolling process, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and what we learned from having to intervene in one particular year group, particularly, more than in the year for a, quite a while, was actually, it led to us as a school reflecting mm-hmm. on our own behavioural policy. And, and making you know, changes. We, on the first day back of this term, had our whole staff collectively look at, actually, what, what, what is it that we're doing really well and um, what is it that we've learned from last mm-hmm. year and what would we like to be 100% consistent and have every member of staff feel empowered to be able to deliver for the children. And if you do look online and see our new behaviour policy, you will mm-hmm. see that there's an, part of the appendix is actually all the things that we do, um, endless lists of the things that we do to create positive emotional memories, feelings within youngsters, but actually we also have a section on well-being. So we value the aspects of, Cable cooperative learning, which is mm-hmm. things like meet and greet, share, take turns, equal participation. Uh, you know, so yeah. respect and, and and so that it that is a whole vocabulary that we want our children. Our parents are also have a range of expectations in there um, about how they will interact with us as staff because our well being is equally important. Because if we feel yeah. good about where we are and what we're doing, obviously that just you know. Um, needs to the children feeling equally the same. So so I would say have a little look. We'd love the feedback on our behaviour policy because we've no, taken yeah, a
1: long time yeah. to, to look at it now and think. Uh, so it's, one last thing before, because uh, the survey I talked about at the top of this, uh, there, there's one in finding that shows that schools have found social and emotional learning behaviour becoming much more of an issue over the last three to five years. And you wonder if it's anything more global. Is it because... The curriculum has been too focused on other things do you think we've taken away from the nurturing care that primary school's all about or it, I mean we can't obviously say make global predictions but it just seems that Shall lots I, of people have challenges
2: would you like me to throw in something quite controversial absolutely we'll go for absolutely <laughs> in, so I went and listened to our virtual schools conference last term and we've invited this, one of the speakers in from there called Ruth McConnell. I'm going to say it wrong, I'm sure. Um, who I just kept referring to as Doctor Amazing because uh, <laughs> whole opened my eyes to a massive amount of research on the importance of non-cognitive aspects of learning that, and why there is equally important as developing the cognitive aspects of learning, right. which was which was um, fantastic. So um, Ruth, who is going to come and talk to us, what she. Um, suggested is that actually it's not it's not necessarily the children, but maybe society is changing slightly. Mm-hmm. And therefore, all the technology that we're surrounded by all the time sometimes is replacing uh, a little bit of the human touch. And then maybe instead of having enough conversations, yes. we are mm-hmm. we have a generation who mm-hmm. look to screens uh, for interaction. And, and, and she talks a lot about this, and there's a lot of research behind it. And my tentative belief from her is that actually sometimes what we look at as conditions maybe in terms of like having children with ADHD or on the spectrum actually what we don't look at enough is the the attachment of youngsters yes. um in this day and age and and there's a lot of work now just coming out about that in terms of actually the the position of the child facing in or out of a buggy, talking to or not talking to, that actually maybe we're seeing ah, yes. a little bit of a knock-on effect in terms of how children then respond to each other in mm. schools and, the, and the, the quality and type of relationships they're having because they're not as we used to quite have. Now, you cannot say that across the whole board, and I said it's a little controversial, but that is a um, no, yeah, you no. know one of uh, some research that we're looking into in terms of actually, how do we respond to that? And I think one of the possible I, good responses is caving cooperative structures because yeah. it it's a way of structuring interactions for youngsters where it, it hasn't necessarily. Always so been I wonder: listening. are
1: more baby prams now? Are the babies facing the pusher, i.e., the parent, or because most of them the child doesn't see the parent? Uh, see now, but is that uh, so I'm wondering? I, I'm, you know, I am
0: yeah. a father of an adopted child. It, it changes, and now. Um, we started off. We have a pram that could change, oh, but okay. we had the pram originally facing us, okay. so we could form that attachment. Oh, oh right! And now we're like, <laughs> he's a bit older. <laughs> it takes him away too much to see the world <laughs> rather than just yeah. our faces. But I think listening to you now, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go ahead and turn it no, back right. around. What <laughs>
2: I'm suggesting is, it's actually what are the opportunities we create for children to interact.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. people
2: and not objects, yeah. and that actually our attachment. Um, a colleague was talking just just today is that he's going home and he's reading for an hour every day, and the biggest struggle he's having is resisting for an hour not looking at his phone. <laughs> he yeah. hides it so he can read. Uh, that's yeah, oh, telling. That's telling it's us, us yeah, so that true. the the way we are as humans is like yeah, changing, changing mm-hmm. and that might be and impacting on where are we going? With the balance
1: this? of things. Well. Michelle, Ian, thank you so much for giving up your lunch hour to come and have a chat. Um, If you want to find out more about the report, you can access it through the EEF uh, website. It's called uh, Social Emotional Learning in Primary Learning. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.
2: Thank you, Doug.